0: Please do take out your Bibles once again and join me in turning to Psalm 55. As we turn to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again and ask for His help. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you specifically today for Psalm 55 and we pray and ask father that you would open your word to our hearts and open our hearts to your word that we would know what we are to believe about you and what you ask your people to believe what you ask your people to do well oh, father be pleased now to strengthen the faith of your gathered people for we pray in jesus name amen, amen. So we are now in the second week of this summer's um, uh, edition of our psalm series, Seeing All of Life as Worship Through the Psalms. As I mentioned last week, last week, yeah, last summer we we were five weeks into the psalms. Uh, This summer it looks like somewhere between 10 and 12 weeks. I want to just mention for a few moments some general comments about the psalms as we make our way to Psalm 55. Um, The Psalms uh, here in the middle of the Bible uh, should be really in the middle uh, of our life both corporately and and individually, uh, occupying an important place in in worship here on the Lord's Day and and worship in in all of life. There are 150 Psalms uh, divided into five books and these Psalms When you you go to them, you know at once they are familiar. Psalm 100, Psalm 23, but also unfamiliar. Uh, One day we'll get to Psalm 88 and it ends with words to the effect, darkness is my closest friend. Unfamiliar. In fact, I would say that some of us probably, even though we may have read all the Psalms, we haven't thought about them in any degree of depth. The Psalms were brought together over a period of 12 centuries from about 15th century to third century BC. Then and now they were a hymn and prayer book for the church. Last week I mentioned that Martin Luther, one of the great reformers, mentioned that the Psalms were a little Bible. Let me read to you what he he said. He said of the Psalms uh, that they might as well be entitled a little Bible wherein everything contained in the entire Bible is beautifully and briefly comprehended. Beautifully and briefly comprehended here in the Psalms. The Psalms are diverse. There's 150 of them and yet they're unified. How can they be unified? Because they have a a central feature. They're centered on the one true and living God. And the Psalms, more than any other book of the Bible, kind of express the divine human encounter. It's the divine meeting the human and the human meeting the divine. I think more so than really any other book. The Psalms don't look like narrative, do they? They, they look like poetry. They, they are poetry. And it's dangerous to read a poem fast, it's more helpful and beneficial to read a, a poem slow because here in the Psalms, our intellect is informed, our emotions are aroused, our imaginations are stimulated, and our wills are directed. And when we read the Psalms, not just as any book of literature, but when we read the Psalms with faith, we come away not just in four, but we come away transformed in one way or another. We don't need exclusive psalmody in the church. In other words, we need to sing other hymns that godly men and women have written through the years, but we certainly need inclusive psalmody. We need to, to sing it. Uh, that was our, we sang Psalm 55 before the sermon. Afterwards, we'll, we'll sing a hymn that, that drills down on the last few verses of psalm 55 psalms as i've been saying promote corporate worship here on the lord's day but also all of life worship worship that is grounded by the bible guided by the bible focused not on ourselves but on god centered on christ and enabled not by what we can bring to the table but enabled by the holy spirit worship on the lord's day and in particular the psalms serve to reorient and realign us now what do i mean worship is reorientation in the case of false gods moves us away from our idols and we all have idols they're not necessarily stone idols and wooden idols but as calvin said the heart is a perpetual factory of idols idols of the heart and they they reorient us away from those idols and to God and they also not only reorient us but realign us you know how lousy it is to drive a car that's out of alignment the wheels are going in different directions and you can feel it it's dangerous to live out of alignment as well because here God is saying to us worship me truly It moves us toward the true worship of God, away from idols and to God and worship Him with the motive and the manner that He Himself has declared and demanded. And the Psalms help us do that. It's worth repeating what was said last week, and especially for Psalm 55, that in the words of John Calvin, the Psalms are an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. In a word, he says, whatever may encourage us when we are about to pray to God is taught in this book. And there is no other book in which we are more perfectly taught the right manner of praising God. So the Psalms, you see, are a great help to us in both prayer, that is asking God, but also praise in giving God what he deserves, The Psalms are an anatomy of the soul. They open us up and help us see what's inside and give us a language to use. But not only do they open us up so that we can see what's on the inside, but they are also medicine for our souls. They can help close us up and heal us. The Psalms give us words to speak when we want to pray to God, and they give us words to speak when we want to praise God. In other words, the psalms give voice to which we can go to God. And we'll see that in particular in Psalm 55. This is another psalm of lament. In fact, if you had to characterize the psalms, the, the biggest category are psalms of lament. We saw that last week as well as I mentioned earlier, there's no absolute foolproof, conclusive evidence in terms of the historical background. But we can see when what was read earlier from 2 Samuel 15, David, King David, faced the rebellion of his son Absalom. He faced the treachery of his counselor Ahithophel. And in church history, we see Psalm 55, being appropriated to look forward to christ to foreshadow christ in particular the opposition of religious leaders and the betrayal of judas i am thankful for psalm 55 i hope you are as well i hope you're thankful that it's in our bible what can miserable christians sing the psalms when you're in trouble and i i would venture to guess you're either in trouble now you're coming out of trouble or you're going into trouble i mean jesus does say in me you'll have peace but in the world you'll have trouble so i think it's safe to say that we all face trouble we have we are and we will So I want to ask this. When you're in trouble, when you're in distress and you're under duress, what do you do? Where do you go? When you're in distress and under duress, what do you do? Where do you go? Well, by God's grace over the next few minutes we'll see that psalm 55 will help us learn what to do and where to go join with me now as i read psalm 55 including the title to the choir master with stringed instruments a maskil of david Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan. Because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst, oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter My complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter." Yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in you. It's been observed that, that its structure is unusually complex. I mean, for example, his complaint is found in three different sections. And the vocabulary of this psalm is unique and, and quite difficult to translate. Psalm 55, in one sense, is both extreme, but it's also normal. It's talking about life in a sinful and fallen world. It's talking about life full of trouble. Now, our approach to Psalm 55 will be to navigate our way from fear through fury to faith. David, the psalmist, makes it known that he is fearful and furious, and yet also a man who is faithful, meaning... That he maintains faith in God despite being in distress and under duress. So let's take a look at the first eight verses. Fear. David is fearful. Look how, once again, he pleads in prayer. Um, It's in the first person and the second person. He's praying to God. God, give ear to my prayer and hide not yourself from, from my plea for mercy. And notice he even says in the middle of verse 3, my complaint, my complaint. Um, We know that we probably shouldn't complain, right? And when we're on the receiving end of a complaint, it's not much fun, is it? But here in Scripture, you see David saying, I'm bringing my complaint to you, God. Evidently, God wants his people within the right bounds and guidelines to to complain. You see, David is appealing to God's self-consistency. Don't hide yourself, God. Don't do that. And he's appealing to his mercy. My plea for mercy. That's what I want, God. I want mercy. It's interesting in our study um, through the book um, Gentle and Lowly, the author draws attention to the fact that only one time it describes God being rich. Rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. And on that basis of that, David is pleading in prayer. Look at the outward circumstances. He's under duress. Uh, Note the language. Just look at verse 3. The enemy is noise. The the wicked oppress him. They're dropping trouble upon me. Uh, It's not raindrops that are falling on his head. It's trouble that's falling upon him. And they are bearing a grudge against him in anger. He is under duress. There is pressure From the outside on him but let's move from what is happening to him to what is happening in him his inward condition he's not only under duress but he's in distress there's a cause of pressure from the outside and there's an effect of turmoil on the inside look with me again at the end of verse 2 in my complaint and I moan moan look at the language we read in verses 4 and 5 my heart is in anguish I mean the very word anguish when you even say anguish it sounds anguishing doesn't it anguish terrors of death have fallen upon me he's feeling like he's coming to the end of himself death is at hand fear and trembling come upon me and get this look how verse 5 ends and horror overwhelms me I mean it's almost like the psalm could end right there I'm being overwhelmed not just with difficulty and trouble, but horror is almost overcoming David. So what's David going to do? What's he going to do when he's under duress and in distress? Well, he's being threatened, right? And everybody knows the response to threat, right? freeze fight or flight or is it fight flight and freeze doesn't matter the order those are the three options right and what does he choose his initial course of action flight how does he respond he wants out he wants to run away he wants to escape look again at verse six and I say oh that i had wings like a dove i would if i had wings like a dove i tell you what i would do i would fly away and i'd find a place of rest i would wander far away i would go out into the wilderness i would hurry up and find a shelter because right now i am facing raging wind and a tempest he wants out he wants to run away he wants to escape yet the rest of the psalm will show us just like the poster says the only way out is through the only way out is is through the mess through the process So imagine you're writing a poem describing how you're doing right now in the midst of trouble. In the midst of turmoil, under duress and in distress, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? David, and we believe he's king at this moment, he's in the city David wants out he wants flight he wants escape when trouble comes what do you want to do where do you want to go you see we will see here in Psalm 55 that not only is David fearful but he's also furious from verses 9 through 15, we see fury. Notice his request in this prayer. And notice the book ends at the beginning of 9 and at the end in verse 15. He says, destroy, O Lord. Destroy. And look at verse 15. Let death steal over them. He is furious at the troublemakers. Destroy them. Let death approach and and get them. You see, not only is David pleading for mercy in this psalm, he's pleading for judgment. Divide their tongues. It's an allusion back to the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11 where God saw that man was attempting to build the tower and basically make a name for himself. And what did God do? He divided their tongues, separated them by language. They would therefore not be able to be unified in opposition. David is saying a similar thing. Divide their tongues. Don't enable them to support them in this evil enterprise. Frustrate the counsel of Ahithophel We would see later in 2 Samuel. David is facing a public crisis. Uh, Notice the language in verses 9 through 11. There's violence, strife, iniquity, trouble, ruin, oppression, fraud. It's, It's described geographically. He's in the city. And you'll notice an even movement from the walls of the city to the marketplace. It's a poetic way of saying there's a public crisis everywhere. On the city walls, in the city streets, in the marketplace of the city. But not only is it geographical, but it's chronological. Look at verse 10. Day and night they go around it on its walls and iniquity and trouble are within it. David is saying not only is this crisis, this public crisis, this public difficulty, it's, it's everywhere, but it's all the time, day and night. So David is furious. There, there is a public concern that he has, but also... He's going to move now into sharing his personal trials. Because more significantly than this public crisis, David is facing a private and personal crisis. Verse 12, for it is not an enemy who taunts me. That would be Psalm 52, "Dog the Edomite. Then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me, kind of maybe Psalm 54, kind of his own tribesmen who showed themselves in opposition. But no, betrayal by an intimate and trusted friend. Look at the progression, verse 13, but it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. He he goes on to, to describe that we used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throne. Friends have turned into enemies. He's being betrayed by a friend. I think it was Michael Card sang a song that said, only a friend can betray a friend. A stranger has nothing to lose. Betrayal by a friend. I hope uh, Ron can hear me there standing outside, but on military aircraft, there's a component called IFF, identification, friend, or foe. IFF. It, it, it sends out a code and it's interrogated and you can show yourself to be a friend or a foe and your receiver will identify the other aircraft as a friend or a foe. And here, David's got to be distraught and confused because I thought you were a friend and now you're, you're a foe. We read the Psalms in view of the completed scriptures. We view the Psalms through the lens of Christ. Do you want to know a little bit more about the suffering of Jesus, our Savior? Do you want to understand all that He went through for you? He's betrayed by a friend, by a kiss, by a companion identification friend or foe that friend has become a foe David's got trouble on the outside he's got turmoil on the inside he's under duress he's in distress and what is causing the most angst anguish anxiety this friend remember in Philippians 4 do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer supplication present your request to God remember that's on the heels of I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to do what to agree in the Lord what causes most of our anxiety relationships friends that maybe aren't so friendly When you run into this, what do you do? Where do you go? Do you freeze? Do you take flight? Or, in the case maybe of a friend and difficulty with a friend, do you fight? I entreat Yodia and I entreat Sintiki to agree in the Lord. Well, there's more to this psalm, thankfully, than fear and fury. There's also faith. It was there from the beginning, behind the scenes, but now it will come onto the center stage. Faith, verses sixteen through twenty-three. You see, David is faithful. Not that he is perfect. Not that he is. He is unwaveringly doing the right thing but no there is faith in him he, he, he is faithful he ma- that is maintains faith you see in verse 16 once again there's prayer and there's confidence in God verse 16 the turning point of the psalm but I call to God and the Lord will save me confidence in his complaint He calls on God. You see, he doesn't opt out. He opts in. And in driving David to prayer, the enemy has overreached. The enemy has overextended himself. You see, the enemy would be victorious if David opted out. The enemy can't be victorious because David is opting in. He is driven to prayer. And And look what kind of prayer it is. Verse 17, evening and morning and noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. Friends, let's just stop there. We have a God who can handle our complaints and our moans. Is that not great news? Is that not just a reminder that we don't have to get our act together To go to God but we can bring to him our troubles our heartaches our anxiety our angst our moaning you know sometimes life is so hard all we can do is moan and we can bring that to the Lord all day prayer you know We say morning, noon, and night, but an Israelite would say evening, morning, and noon. It reminds us of Daniel, right? Who prayed set times a day, no matter what. You see, there is ceaseless opposition, day and night. And what does that require? Ceaseless prayer. Notice David's assurance that God will answer him and deliver him. Verse 16, the Lord will save me. You see, military aircraft not only have IFF, identification, friend, or foe, they also have countermeasures. They have flares. They have jamming systems to thwart the efforts of the enemy. And what is the countermeasure that you and I have? What is the countermeasure in the difficulty of life that we are given Prayer. Prayer. Prayer is our countermeasure. Notice in verses 20 through 21, uh, David can't shake it. It's personal again. You see, this is the heartache of David. God will give ear and humble them he goes on, in verse 20, my companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. He still can't get over the fact that his friend has deceived him and betrayed him. Butter and oil. Butter and oil. Uh, these are poetic descriptions of hypocrisy and deceit. There's no integrity with the friend. You see, the inner didn't match the outer. And it broke David's heart. There's a call to everyone. There's a public call to everyone. In verse 22, David the king says this, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Cast, it's not like casting a fishing line. No, it's it's more like throwing. It's vigorous action. He will sustain you. That word sustain is important. He won't remove it. He won't bear it for you. No, here he says he will give you strength to endure it. Most of us, me, I want it to be taken away. Or I want to give it all to the Lord and in many cases we do give it all to the Lord but here he's going to sustain us he's going to sustain give the strength to endure not remove it not carry it peter picks up on this in 1 peter 5 humble yourselves under god's mighty hand that he might exalt you at the proper time casting all your anxieties on him Because he cares for you. Peter doesn't say what the Lord's going to do. Is he going to remove the anxieties? Is he going to carry them? Cast them on him because he cares for you. He he will sustain you. He will strengthen you. He will enable you to endure. So David, as king, calls out to everyone, cast your burden on the Lord but he also has a call to himself personal and private verse 23 but you O god will cast them down into the pit of destruction men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days he's once again being confident in the judgment of the wicked that god sooner or later will make everything right He says, that's what they do. But as for me, as for me, I will trust in you. You see, David makes a clear choice. He doesn't run away. He runs to God and he rests in him. The resolution at the end is not due to the removal of trouble, of anguish, of suffering, but the consequence of surrendering cares to God and dwelling that God will save, God will act justly. See, David knows that God will not leave a righteous person in a fallen position forever, but will vindicate them at the end. If there's one thing that's clear in Scripture, is the day is coming when all the wrongs will be dealt with. And all the rights, as it were, will be rewarded. The day is coming. You know, we, we, we want that as human beings, right? We want justice, right? We also want mercy. Justice and mercy are coming. We see that at the cross. We have the assurance that it awaits as well. You see, God will judge the wicked no matter what, David says, but God also will save those who trust him no matter what. Ligon Duncan, the chancellor of Reformed Theological Seminary, in a short post called The Fight of Faith to Trust God No Matter What, writes this, It is to take nothing away from the rest of the imperatives of the New Testament to say that the great fight of the Christian life is to trust God. To trust His promises, to trust His providence, to trust His goodness and love, to trust His presence and plan, to trust the wisdom of His commands, to trust Him. How does David end this? But I will trust in you. That's the fight of faith. Freeze. Flight. Fight faith to trust God no matter what. My friends, it is good news that Psalm 55 is here in the Psalter, in our Bible, because it instructs us where to go and what to do in trouble. We are reading, praying, and singing Psalm 55 through the lens of the New Testament. The church father, Augustine, said, The church of Christ in every age is the choir singing the psalm with Jesus as our head, as our lead singer. You see, we sing this psalm in Christ. And this psalm directs us to Jesus, the worship leader, the lead singer of the psalm. Jesus, the friend of sinners. Jesus doesn't betray us. Jesus saves us. This psalm reminds us that we are the church. The choir under the direction of the worship leader. You know, we don't necessarily have a great voice, but he's given us a song to sing and this song reminds us don't run from trouble, run to Christ. We're tempted to flee. But when Jesus asked Peter, Do you also want to go away? What was Peter's response? Where else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Where, what are we to do? And where are we to go? Are we to freeze and do nothing? Are we to fly, to take flight and run away? Are we to fight? Are we to pummel our enemies, our opposition? Or are we to trust God, believe God, run to Christ, find rest in Him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Psalm 55. We thank you that you ensured that these words would be written and preserved for our benefit, thousands of years later. Father, we thank you that in the midst of duress from the outside, in the midst of distress from the inside, in the midst of difficulty and stress and trouble, you invite us to pour out our hearts to you. Oh, Father, help us more and more to have confidence that we can come to you, that you will listen to us, and that in your time, for your purposes, you will act so that our faith is strengthened and that one day we will be ushered into life eternal, into your very presence. Oh, Father, be pleased to enable us under duress and in distress to run to our Savior and find safety there. For we pray in his name. Amen.